That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome, I'm Andrew Dice. And I am Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a rewatch podcast for Dawn of Justice. We have arrived at minute 28. We've gotten our delightful uh, bathroom interlude wrapped up, and we have ended on the second, the minute mark exactly. We are switching to Bruce Wayne, the Batcave, the world of Batman, Alfred Pennyworth. What, what an occasion. Yeah, I feel like, so the 28th minute of the movie, and this is really probably the moment people have been waiting for, for like, what, three years now? By by the time they finally saw this, right? Yeah. Of like, what is Ben Affleck's Batman and Bruce Wayne going to be? And we're this far into the movie. I mean, we saw Batman and everything, but like, finally now we're at the point where we're actually going to kind of figure out what he's up to. Yeah, and I guess we did see a Bruce Wayne in the midst of being Batman, but we were kind of left with the question after what do we what do we call it? The Battle of Metropolis, I guess. Yeah, or Black Zero. After what, the Black Zero, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess that was his exposure to it. He came away from it with a new mission, and now this is kind of our first opportunity to see that because it's hard to read much into Batman when he's Batman when he's well. And that was all. So much of that was presented very much as like kind of prologue or yeah or background. Where yes, he's there, but now now this is like we're kind of we're all caught up and we're gonna get some you know straight from the horse's mouth. So into the bat cave we go. Funnel ferry butter bar, funnel ferry butter bar, funnel ferry butter bar, funnel ferry. There's nothing wrong with the microphone. I should probably start by saying it's interesting that this is set up begins with Bruce coming down the elevator and it's Which, sort like, of what a reveal. I know, like it's... he just gets wider and wider as the elevator <laughs> goes down. <laughs> There's just more and more. Layers his his um wardrobe of black and gray is sort of established as this is the color of his world. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess we don't know it at this point, but but that is kind of going to remain through the movie is his world is very black and white. Yeah, or what's the black and very very dark gray? Yeah, exactly. What's the Lego yes. movie. Yeah, if he's feeling very very festive, in this case, wearing a whole bunch of wool. But the thing that that does seem kind of funny is. I would say that in these minutes, not just this minute, but this entire scene, I remember feeling like I still didn't know who this Bruce is. Like, I feel yeah. like that is a very, it's, a, it's kind of a strong impression. And it strikes me as more intentional here than usual. Like, I love Michael Keaton's Batman and I love Christian Bale's Batman a lot too. But the interactions with Alfred, it's so weird to say, but in this movie, I, I'm, I'm disowning the Schumacher ones, I guess, intentionally. But of the ones that are kind of more grim in some way, this Bruce and this Alfred do feel like the most, if not like emotionally attached, they're, they're definitely like the most familiar. Yeah. They, they read like a normal two people who work together. Yeah. It's a, it's a very new relationship because like with, uh, with Michael Caine, you had, he was almost like a father figure or like maybe more of an uncle. Yeah. And, um, yeah, definitely. And like, he was there for like his wisdom and like his sagely kind of advice mm-hmm. more than anything. Yeah. And I got to be honest, I don't really remember a whole lot about Michael Keaton's interactions with, um, uh, who played Alfred in that. 
I know, if you'd asked me before, put you on the spot. No, I, I mean, yeah, I, and I get what you mean. He, it's definitely a. I remember the Alfred from all of those original movies yes. very warmly. Like I like that character a lot, but I don't think of much connecting the two of them. I remember watching the one with uh, George Clooney and being kind of struck when it was implied that they care about each other. Yeah, well, I think, and I may be wrong on this because I, I haven't seen that in years and don't really care to go research it. But I seem to remember that he, because doesn't he end up dying in that, or or do they? He just no, gets he, sick, he gets, and then he gets uh, better. Oh, please. This is a tease of our upcoming podcast, um, <laughs> Batman, Batman and Robin, Robin by, the minute. by the Minute. He is afflicted with the same McGregor syndrome, I believe, which Nora Freeze uh, is also yeah. afflicted with. Clearly, I have... I'm uh, shocked you don't recall that. Yeah, I, I commit so much time to remembering what happened <laughs> in that movie. But no, he... I don't know. It's hard to say without making it sound like a, like a diss against that version of the character, because it's not. But he was just kind of a very, like what you expect when you think about Alfred. It was just kind of the butler, and he was there, and he had a wry line every once in a while. As such, I programmed my brain algorithms into the bad computer and created a virtual simulation. Yeah, and certainly in the tradition of the Adam West, you know, like that version of the character, I feel like we could have an entire podcast. Maybe we'll do a podcast later date just about Alfred. But (laughs) in this case, and it is kind of um, like we can... I guess moving to the actual minute because like what we're talking about here is like instantly drilled home. Bruce arrives to Alfred in the cave working with his hands. Yeah. Uh, automatically, you know, Jeremy Irons' version of Alfred is everything about him. I like that he's almost dressed to match Bruce and that the, the leather smock that he like that he has on, it's just all very yeah, he's um, wearing like boots. I mean, you know, the the funnel fairy butter bar <laughs> we can talk about, but almost um which I will point out that Bruce is not a fan of <laughs> of of anything remotely lighthearted. But but again, in that he has a look that is more like, you know, an older partner that the way that he kind of rolls his eyes at it, mm-hmm. there is a familiarity between the two of them. But I like that in this case, there is no artifice of a generational gap yeah when you first meet them and i feel like that makes sense like jeremy irons is obviously older than ben affleck but he's not so much older if you wrote this these versions of the characters in the script you would say bruce a man of you know probably mid to late 40s and alfred who is older Mm -hmm. you wouldn't need to specify you know old enough to be his father you know a, a grandchild or or a son which is more of like the i think uh michael guff is the there is the the Alfred from those movies where it was definitely mm-hmm. um that kind of feeling to it when we're introduced to Alfred he's the one testing out the armor and he says you know I'm gonna have to rewire it so I was gonna say this Alfred like I can't imagine him and it's not that I it doesn't ask me to imagine him like changing Bruce's diaper right <laughs> like I feel like that's something sure. that's very present with all the other versions of Alfred and maybe it's a thing that's I get from that's a line in um Mask of the Phantasm, right? Yeah. Um, I, I diapered your bottom. I, I bloody well ought to, sir. And uh, which, ironically, I was going to say that I feel like this relationship kind of captures that Batman and Alfred animated series relationship a lot more than uh, than any of the other sort of iterations. Even I, I hate to say it also, but it's it's way more like um, the Alfred and Bruce from Gotham than, um, than any of the other ones. That you can see that that was probably more of yeah. their relationship when Bruce was younger versus... You know, I can't see this one, this Alfred, like, sitting Bruce down to tutor him in math or anything, right? No, and it's like, to your point, I think 
I think if if I'm being totally honest, it feels different because this Alfred is just a different character. Yeah. I say that I say that because who Alfred Pennyworth is in my mind is informed by like dozens and hundreds of comic books. If you ask me who Alfred is in movies, I would really only say, you know, the the one that leaves the strongest impression is Michael Caine's because it was Michael Caine playing him. Right. You know, and you had those three movies and you had almost that Alfred had like an arc almost to himself over those three movies. But Alfred as a, you know, a, a cinematic, you know, like institution, kind of just whatever is called for. Like if I picture Jeremy Irons in this movie with a three-piece suit on, you know, tie done up coming down with a tray of a sandwich, not part of the cave. Yeah. Then he just becomes a different character than he is supposed to be in this. Like, I, I get the impression very quickly from the way that they're working that it is these two guys that are doing it, right? I Like, it's no coincidence that I assume this is Bruce starting his day and Alfred is already there. I don't think that has ever happened before in a Batman movie or likely a Batman story, right? It's supposed to be Alfred leaving the civilized world to come down to where Bruce is. And this is just, they're both there living there. Yeah. And I think that that kind of sets up for Alfred to give a different kind of opinion about what is going on. It starts almost immediately, right? That Bruce has that line, you know, you're, you're getting slow you're in your slow old age. slow in your old age, Alfred. Comes to us all, Master Wayne. Even you've got too old to die young. And not for lack of trying. Yeah, or imagine this Alfred giving the, like, I failed you speech from yeah. Dark Knight Rises. It'd be like, no, no, you didn't. He's he's a, over 40. Yeah. These are just different guys. So, yeah, different characters, a different environment. I guess we should probably talk about, do you love the, the Batcave? How much do you love this Batcave? Yeah, that's, I mean, obviously, that's one of the first things I think because we see that first, right? That's the establishing shot. Yeah. Well, cause he comes down the elevator and it's, that's a very powerful shot of him coming down. And like I said, he's kind of tapered, like it just descending. Gets, yeah. It just gets wider and wider up to his shoulders and he's just this, you know, super squared broad. Yeah, and I think dude. the music uh, like stops mm-hmm. like the music that, that really warm kind of romantic music from. Yeah. And we're slamming to this from them in the bathtub together, like kissing. And then it's like, Boom, Batcave. Turn the volume like, He's down. frowning. He's got his arms crossed. He's coming down, or like crossed in front of him. Yeah. Meanwhile. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd love to hear that. Uh, Meanwhile, yeah. in the Batcave. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but no, this uh, this Batcave, it, like while it's very kind of like almost James Bond villain layer, it's also sure. like immediately the most believable Batcave, I think, that we've yeah. seen yet. Because... Well, yeah. and believable is a weird a weird term because like I feel like the Nolan movie is kind of like like copped out for lack of a better term on the on the Batcave mm-hmm. ends up being a platform in the middle of water. Yeah, well, I mean, and it's just a it's a it's a cave that he it's literally a cave that he keeps stuff in. And so it's it's it is a Batcave and it's very really believable, but it's not like the Batcave. And then he's like in the Dark Knight, he's he's in that bunker or whatever beneath Gotham City. Like they kind of just ignore the Batcave <laughs> altogether, right? It's one yeah. of those like Nolan. Oh, this isn't. This is too comic booky. So I'm gonna you know do something different, and that you yeah. know worked out great. But um, and then and like the Schumacher movies or the Burton movies, it's so kind of like I don't think you like I don't think they have like the the T Rex in the Batcave, but I'm kind of surprised they don't. <laughs> it, like is that is that level yeah, the of giant like, penny? Yeah, yeah, the giant is like that level of like comic book kind of gothicy whatever. The wide shot is awesome because you've got like the the shot. I think the Batmobile might be under a blanket or something. Yeah, 
and then you've got like the the red light is just I've always loved that about this yeah. Batcave. Not only because it just looks cool, but there's also like the red light has like less of a strain on your eyes, mm-hmm. right? Like for artificial lighting. So you kind of get the impression that like he works down there a lot under the yeah. lighting and he's like short of sleep and that's just less strain <laughs> on him, sort yeah. of. And you get a first shot of the Robin costume, which it doesn't Even draw. We don't know, yeah, yeah, which it doesn't really draw attention to it, but you do see that it's over there, um, which is mm-hmm. kind of an interesting thing to establish. Like it's clearly in frame intentionally. Yeah, I, I really, I think the big thing I took away from it was that it's again, it's easy to say like this is my favorite version of the Batcave, mainly because I feel like this is one of the only ones you actually get to see all of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really that runway for the Batmobile. I think there's a landing pad for the Batwing. And then the workshop where they're working and the stairs. And that's it. Yeah. We've seen all of it and all of it is straight cuts. You know, it's all very like the Batcave almost implies a kind of organic element to Batman. And that is not here. I don't, I don't think that that would reflect this Batman. This Batman, like after 20 years has become precise mm-hmm. and utilitarian calculated. The, the closest or what the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. This place is built out of straight lines. Yeah. But it does feel like if you ask someone to make you the coolest bat cave they could, they would end up being like, well, look, we can't drill into rock. This is kind of the thing we would need to make you. Mm-hmm. I think the most fun thing for me seeing them walk through is that it feels very messy but also utilitarian again like any real working workshop yeah (laughs) the batman of yesterday it was the bat computer right that was he has this computer that can do things that regular computers can't Mm -hmm. and that is his thing now it feels like yeah yeah no the computers are not you could literally go out and buy everything that the Bat computer would be made out of. That's not the interesting thing. That isn't what makes Batman. That isn't what sells Batman. What sells this Batman is that the whole idea that he is the one with like the will to do it. Mm-hmm. Because of that, everything that around and we're kind of introduced to it with Alfred and everything. The challenge here is making this stuff, and you're making something that the average person couldn't do. You're you're left with him looking at that computer where in the Keaton one, there's almost – you could say like, yeah, but if a different person was in front of that computer, they could find out all that stuff. Okay, then the computer is Batman. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's not the person using it. And in the same way, I think they kind of take that approach to the bat suit, right, is when the bat armor became a thing. It was like, okay, but if it's bulletproof and it's knifeproof, then the suit is Batman. And it's, it might as well be Iron Man, you know, at that point. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this thing, it's like, no, I mean, Alfred has the helmet apart and he's building it and he's rewiring it and the benches are filled with stuff. Oh, right. The things that the reason why this is hard to do is that you would need to commit all of this to figuring out how to do it. Yeah. Well, and there's also a sense of like, it's like a patchwork, but not in a like haphazard sort of way, but in a like, in the same way that I'm sure he is all scarred up. It's functional, right? And so it's not like they're like, they have this kind of rat's nest of wires that he's trying to rig a radio no. out of or something. But it's clear that there's lots of like band-aids, yeah. right, that they have to apply to, to get some of this stuff to work. And they do a good job at it because they're really good. But, yeah. you know, every, you know, in the same way that I'm sure Batman gets stitches from Alfred all the time, Alfred's also, you know, solder like resoldering wires and troubleshooting, you know, whatever. Maybe this is a weird way to 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 compare it also, but like I I feel like he in the way that you said it is kind of cluttery or messy a little bit. 
I can very much picture this Batman entering the Batcave and like stripping the suit off and just leaving it as it yeah. falls, like like the Batman damned scene. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> Um, yeah, like, you know, bat wang and all. Yeah. Um, oh. and, uh, but you can very much, I feel like kind of see this bat cave being like that where yeah. he just kind of drops it and then Alfred probably goes and, and picks it up. I thought it was interesting that you were mentioning how straight lined and efficient and, and, um, utilitarian everything is because I've always felt that way about the dialogue here also. Hmm. And it's hard to describe because exposition can kind of be a dirty word but i've always been impressed with how efficient this dialogue is not like in just the number of different things that it establishes and that's a that's a chris terrio talent right yeah how he can write a sentence and it uh, like a line of dialogue and it, it it reveals so much about the characters about the history about the world etc yeah and you just look at these first these first lines uh, he says what like you you still working Mm-hmm. You're getting slow in your old age, Alfred. Okay, so we know you're still working implies that he's – it's a this is a common thing, right? He's commonly – like they're always down there tinkering, working. Yeah. That they've both kind of got their own tasks that they do. Um, You're getting slow in your old age, Alfred. Kind of establishes they've been doing this for a while. And, and establishes that like maybe Bruce is in a little bit of denial about his own – yeah, exactly. Age. Well, and that's he says, "Comes to us all, Master Wayne. Even you're you're too old to die young, not for lack of trying." Which there's so that's a little bit of banter. So they're kind of more like you were saying, more equals in this situation. Is what that establishes. And so in this, it's like throughout this entire scene, not just this minute, every single thing that they say to each other establishes something like that. And I've always been really impressed. And it seems like it's some of the most overlooked dialogue also, because everything you need to know about this Batman, you know, while you you were saying it's it's mysterious and we still don't quite know who he is. And I, I agree with that. But at the same time, every th- complaint or confusion people have about this Batman and who he is and why he's the way that he is, is stated almost explicitly like yeah. in, in this scene. But the dialogue is so natural there is a version of this scene and this back and forth that is like so cringeworthy <laughs> and th- and that's not what it is right yeah the 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 version where they don't trust the audience to kind of pick up on all the on all the cues like you're getting slow in your old age alfred like there there's a there's a, there's an alternate version of that line that's like you're not nearly so efficient at this as you were when we first got started 20 <laughs> years ago my good friend like <laughs> And You've been working on that for how many weeks now? Yeah, exactly. And it's so yeah. – um, it remi- I mean, it's a weird comparison, but it reminds me a lot of like The Empire Strikes Back and how that dialogue is so different from like so many other things in Star yeah. Wars where every line impl- like not only expands the characters themselves, but you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, can we pause that? Does that imply – like there's a backstory mm-hmm. implied by that like offhand reference, and I don't need to know what it is. In order for it to make sense, but there, he's talking about something. He's impl- he's yeah. building the world here without making me feel like I need to open a Wikipedia page. That really – and the Empire Strikes Back is a good one because I – whenever someone says Empire Strikes Back, I remember the scenes between Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford in the first act mm-hmm. because it felt like – Oh, this is Carrie Fisher getting to be Carrie Fisher, and this is Harrison Ford getting to be Harrison Ford. Like they're really, yeah, now acting these scenes out, and it's how it's how they're saying it as much as what they're saying. Like I think even in this case, everything you need to know about Bruce and their routine is spoken by Alfred. I mean, mainly, but everything you also need to know about where Bruce's head is at in this scene is in how Ben Affleck plays it. 
When I say he doesn't reveal much in this scene, I mean Bruce is being like it's being played that way that Bruce is Well, he's hiding stuff even from Alfred. Exactly. Right? He's he's very quiet, he's very controlled, and then when they start having their first lines of dialogue, it's almost when is someone gonna say it? Clearly something else is going on here. Like you're you're buttoned up or you are I'm, you know, not in denial or anything like that, even though I would say yeah, absolutely. But it's a very underrated scene. I, it makes me wish we had more of Bruce and Alfred, I guess, yeah. obviously, over the last 20 years. I think there was enough in the movie to to get everything across. But if there's one thing that I could have increased for this movie, I'm sure, I think more scenes with Bruce and Alfred in the Batcave are, are one of the things that I would, I would add, um, you know, two, three more minutes of. Yeah, there's, it's just, it's very fun watching them and also very, like, it gets the wheels turning in your head, kind of picturing what his career has looked like uh, yeah. versus other versions of Batman that we've seen. Yeah, and a career that Alfred is an active part in. If it was like a brand new Batcave, right? Or if they, if he wasn't tired and had been doing this for 20 years, that might be more like cinematically appropriate to have like a long panning shot sweeping across and showing all yeah. of his workstations and stuff. If they've, if someone's got a new house, they're like, oh, let's give you the tour. And if they've been there for like 50 years, they're like, oh yeah, the bathroom's <laughs> down the hall. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Here's where we do the cowl. Yeah. Over here's the computer to our kind of larger mystery now that we've, spoken about it uh, in greater detail, I realized that this minute ends with Bruce heads to his computer and says that the interrogation of Caesar did not go well. He's too low level. And who he is really looking for is Anatoly Kanayazev, a Russian. And I think that's where the minute cuts off. And we are left with Lex's right-hand man from uh, Nairobi right. filling up the screen. And it wasn't until this viewing that I realized, oh, wait, Bruce shouldn't know who this guy is. <laughs> this is actually, this has to be relevant to Bruce in a completely different context. And boy, if I had been paying closer attention, that would have been a really big clue that something else was, was kind of dictating this because, well, I guess we're moving into the next minute. All we really see is he's Russian. This is his face. And I'm sitting there now on this rewatch thinking, oh boy, how much of this groundwork of Lex's did I mess up? This guy has become Bruce Wayne's target, and Bruce knows nothing about what happened in Nairobi. Right. So Well, and and this is something that he's is a case he's been working for a while, right? Yeah. I don't get the impression that he you know, he's, he's like 27 steps into cracking totally. this case. So this isn't like we discover him as he finds like the first clue. Like we feel like if the movie was about him tracking down Kanaizev, mm -hmm. this would be like somewhere in the second act, right? Yeah. But this is like the first thing we see with him. It really yep. shows just how long Lex has been sort of pulling the strings on this. Um, yep. That he's been, he's had Batman chasing this, this rabbit hole for you know, who knows, weeks, months. Also more interesting as we get into discussing who this guy is and why Bruce is interested in him. But I feel like that will do it for minute 28. Even if Bruce doesn't know who's pulling the Russian strings, we sure do. <laughs> <laughs>
are coming. The red capes are coming. Hmm. One if by land. Hmm. Two if by air. Mm. I, I diapered your bottom. I, I bloody well ought to, sir. Um.